this evening. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, whenever uh, we try to take on any new endeavor, we know that there needs to be a beginning to the work. And maybe this is that time of the year where we're mindful of that, especially because it's a time when a lot of things begin anew. Uh, we start a new school year, we start a new church season, we take on new endeavors. There has to be a beginning to it. And there's some that really are beginning, not just a particular grade, but maybe starting school for the very first time. It used to be uh, <laughs> when I was uh, younger that you could start school at first grade. You didn't have to go to kindergarten. You could go to kindergarten, but you didn't have to. And so first grade was where you started. You started first in first grade. And then it became, well, no, we, we got to start with kindergarten. And now we don't start with kindergarten. We start with even preschool or pre-K, some have called it. We don't start at seventh grade, though. Never did, because that wouldn't make any sense. We start at whatever is the beginning. Here comes the time to begin to learn how to drive. I'm talking to some people of late and saying about some of their young people and their families that has so-and-so begun to drive yet. And they say, oh yeah, and that's handy so that they can get off to school. And that's new beginnings for them also. There's grade school children who are starting high school for the first time. This is the time of the year where you really sense that idea that there's a first time for everything. And a lot of that goes on right around now. But what we're called to confess and understand from our hearts as well as with our mouths is that everything begins with God. Even as the end of all things is God. That's the goal. That's the end of life. That's where everything is heading to head in our lives. But it's also where everything begins. That's how the confession of the Church of Jesus Christ begins in the Belgic Confession. It begins appropriately with God. In a world that wants to put itself first, wants to put the self first, wants to put the planet first, wants to worship the earth or worship itself, and wants to put itself selfishly before everything, the church does differently. The church is called to put God before everything. We're called to put God before everything, because the church knows that she depends on everything from God. And that everything depends on God. And that everything begins with God. So we, we want to take a look at why that is, and, and how it is that the church confesses that tonight as we get, again begin this series on the Belgic Confession that declares that when we're thinking about anything, 
things need to begin with God. We focus on the God that we as a church of Jesus Christ are called to confess and, and how it is that we confess Him. The God we confess and the kind of confession of God that we make. Focusing on the God that we as a church are called uh, to confess is a taller order than one Sunday sermon could ever cover, of course. Kind of interesting that way how small the article is talking about one God. But we're going to try to do as we can to keep it in the confines of our confessions and scripture text that's before us. The God we confess is a God that exists and a God that can be defined accurately and adequately, though not comprehensively. That's the very thing by God's providence that our 11th and 12th graders were uh, focusing on this morning in their catechism class, the incomprehensibility of God. That on the one hand, there is a sufficiency of knowledge that we can glean from the Word of God about Him accurately, adequately, but also recognizing on the other hand that we cannot comprehensively acknowledge all that God is all about. Because His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts, His ways are beyond tracing out, but in comfort we can also say that He's the one that can do exceedingly more than all that we can ask or imagine. And that's the kind of God that we need, that's the kind of God that we find ourselves confessing when we confess the God of the Scriptures. Confessing God is, is not something even that starts with us. Even our confessing cannot start with us. Even our confessing has to start with God because we, we must have truth that can be confessed. It's, it's because of that we start seeing right away in the confession that we start talking about, well, how do you find out about who God is? And we talk about special revelation and talk about general revelation and the like. And of course, we'll get into that more. But it has to start, does our confessing of God, with God too. Because we have to have truth that can be confessed. We have to have a witness that we can believe, as well as God's grace to confess it. The witness of this faith and this confession begins then by the testimony of God to us in both his work, and His Word, which explains what He does. Unlike what is commonly considered, faith isn't a leap into the realm of the irrational. That's what the world wants us to think. That ra the rational thought of, of, of a God having order over everything is a false one. That's not what's false. What's false is to look at a world around us. What's irrational is for us to think that the world and everything about it is something that is that takes place simply by what we call chance. Faith isn't a, a leap into the realm of the irrational. That's just 
you know, that people say that we make this leap of faith. And that's just a common way that the world likes to talk about the Christian condition. But faith isn't that. It's a response to what is truthfully transcribed to us by God himself as he initiates the revelation of himself to us. And also, contrary to popular opinion, everybody confesses some sort of God or gods because everybody rests one's life and outlook for life on something. Everybody does. You can't get away from that. Everybody founds their, their life on, on what they consider true and beyond doubt. Even those who would seek to claim an atheistic outlook and say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in a God. They haven't done their homework. They haven't seen what Romans 1 would say, that what they've really done is they've exchanged the truth for a lie. Or to be even more to the point, they've transferred their trust from the Creator to some creature. And that creature, most often is found in the unholy trinity known as me, myself, and I. Not the eternal God, but the human, the self, who lasts for 80 years. The God we confess as the Church of Jesus Christ, however, is not the God of fantasy. It's not the God of make-believe. He's not the God of, of, of people's imaginations initiated from minds and, and, and sick minds uh, that have conjured him up from their own brains. He's not a God of many gods. He's not a God that can be taken or left. He's a God on which everything depends. A God that exists. The only God, the God who is self-revealing. The God who depends on no one and nothing for proof or for sustenance. A God who is so all can be. The God that ought, ought to be believed. We have an obligation to believe in him. And people throughout history, of course, are always seeking proof for such a God as this. But, but seeking proof for God is like trying to prove to someone that a, a child is there by an official birth certificate. The documentation is there. You, you simply have to accept the testimony of the certification. And if you don't, well, that's your fault. And that's my fault if I'm in that position. And that's the case with the God that the Church of Jesus Christ believes. His creation, His wonders, His Word, they all speak truthfully to His existence. From the planets to the stars, from the animals to the trees, from the plants to the cells and molecules, all creatures of our God and King. They all speak and declare the existence and the glory of the Creator God. 
And so belief then isn't irrational. It's, it's altogether rational. That's not the problem. What keeps people, great and small, from a belief in God is not the rationality of the matter, but the spiritual darkness of the heart from which they're suffering. It's an issue that needs God's grace to, to open spiritual eyes, unstop spiritual ears, and soften otherwise hardened hearts. And when that's not happening in our lives, it's no wonder that the perspectives of life are lacking faith, and with that, lacking comfort. When you don't see that God is the beginning of everything, that, is, that, in, the, that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the, or the heavens and the earth, that God is foundational and essential to everything. Is it any wonder that there is error and chaos in the world? When we don't begin with God. Is it any wonder that people misunderstand so much in life? Is it any wonder that when that's happening that we don't see the end of all things and the purpose of life because we haven't seen the beginning right? Is it any wonder that so many cannot see any hope for the future and yet at the same time try to concoct a, a sense of all things without such hope. Because surely deep down they know, they, they know there has to be a reason for everything and they try to carve it out. There has to be a foundation. There's got to be a purpose. Somehow everything needs to hang on something. That's partly why every, everyone has a God of sorts, after all. Why everybody's religious in some way or another. Because everybody knows there needs to be this overarching order over everything. <laughs> and yet that order can only hang on the one who has all things in all times in his hand. To speak of many gods is to speak of no gods. Because in order for God to be God, He has to be God over all. He needs to be sovereign and unique. Otherwise, God isn't God. He has to be God alone. We confess Him to be simple. And that is to mean indivisible. You cannot divide God into parts, like the Father being a third God, or that God is partly just, or partly light, or partly love, or partly good. No, God is just. God is light. God is love. His justice is loving. His light is good. He defines those qualities. They are not as much attributed to Him as they are what identify it. We confess him as a spiritual being. He's immaterial. He's distinct from the works of his hands. And that sets him apart from all that he's made. And all of this is meant to cause us to marvel. 
We talked about that this morning too in, in our catechism class about, you know, this just causes us to marvel and to wonder, with wonder, with our eyes and our mouths gaped open wide because of how, how, how different He is from us that way. We call Him God because this is the name by which He has revealed Himself among many. It's a name that identifies Him and is therefore to be revered as it speaks to His power and His uniqueness and simplicity. That He shows Himself to be God upon uh, which all depends and in whom all things begin and to whom all things are, are, are is seen in His attributes. You and I have our beginnings and, and we have our ends on this earth. We're but temporal creatures. And who are we in contrast to God who has created time and who is not shackled or controlled by time, but is from everlasting to everlasting. That's the God who is God, and this is the God we confess as the Church of Christ. The very God that we need, whose, whose love for His own is eternal in Christ. Like I mentioned we, in our class, we talked about the incomprehensibility of God. It's mentioned here in our confession, which is also what makes God who He is. Were we to know the, the untraceable of God, we would be God Himself. How can the Lord love His own from before the foundation of the world? I don't know. He does. But I can't fully comprehend that. I don't know because I'm, I'm but the creature. I'm not the Creator. I'm just the saved. I'm not the Savior. You know, wondrous is the love of God. Amazing is the grace of God. I just praise Him and Him alone for being so much more than I am. He's invisible, we, we confess. When we try to image Him, we never do Him justice, which is why such imaging is forbidden. We read about that in Psalm 106. He's far beyond our ability to trace Him out. There are no bounds with Him. That's the kind of God we ought to want. Not a God, God that we can box but a God that can do exceedingly more than all we can ask or imagine. He's immutable. We just sang about that too. His love never changes, never, never quits. He's unchangeable in His being, unchangeable in His purposes and promises. We can sing that Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. In a world where dependent uh, dependability is oftentimes elusive. Sometimes we notice that, especially in these days in which we live, where you can't count on people. We can still find in the unchangeable God a God on whom we can depend, and that's the God that we confess in the Church of Jesus Christ. There are no limits to Him, so that we can take great delight that He's able to do that exceedingly more than all that we can ask or imagine. Church confesses her own weakness, but glories in the might of his Maker. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What is impossible with man is possible with God. I, I, I said that again to the 11th and 12th graders. I could say, What is impossible with man? And they right away could answer, Is possible with God. That's the God that the church confesses. For such is the God on which all things depend and begin. 
He's perfectly wise, just, and good. Is it any wonder that the church wishes to begin its confessions with God when he's perfectly wise and just and good? How many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you have made them all? Everything begins with God. You're just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. No one is good save God alone, says our Savior. Who could we be to confess ourselves when our goodness pales before the goodness of God? Why should the attention be on ourselves? Who better to profess than the God who deals most wisely and justly and good with his own and with his world? So when we're able to see by God's grace and by God's word that he's the one who's the overflowing fountain of all good, what better place would there be ever to start anything than with God? Who better to confess than he who's the fountain of life, of supply, of abundance? It's he who daily supplies. It's he to whom we can daily go. And it's he who supplies most richly and lavishly for time and eternity. Where else do we want to start than with God? And that's not the assessment that we make of God, first of all, because that's the testimony that God gives us to make. His testimony is true. Not to be doubted, because everything depends on him, all begins with him. And we don't make that conclusion. God makes it for us. He's the one that reveals that. Even that begins with God. Our confession of God, then, when it's true and it realizes that everything depends on God, is not going to fall stale and cold and evil. It's going to be from the heart. It's going to be a fruitful faith, even as the Apostle James calls our faith to be in James 2. That everything begins with God. That's the God that we confess, but that's going to make a difference on the spirit in which we make that confession. And and that's how the confession goes. Uh, The confession doesn't just say we make this statement about God. No, it says we all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there's one only simple and spiritual being which we call God. Now we talk about how not all have faith in God. But there are also those who have a kind of faith in God that is also not faithful and true. Because James says that even the devil and his house believe that there's one God and they shudder at the thought of it. Because they know they're doomed. But that's because theirs isn't a saving faith. Theirs is more of an acknowledgement what some have called fancily uh, an intellectual assent. That in their minds, they know who God is. 
And they can't deny it. But that's different than a fruitful faith of which James speaks. It's not a callous, uh, antiseptic, cold, fruitless, dead faith that the Christian church believes. That's not the confession of the Church of Jesus Christ, even as it's penned. We all believe with the heart. That wasn't the confession of those who shared the faith of the Reformers long ago. It, it couldn't have been, because they died for it. That's how much they valued it. That confession of God. It wasn't stale to them. It was life or death. It was for time and eternity. They, they not only testified to the Lord regarding what the Lord testified, but they testified to the world, because that's what the confession did, right? It was written to the king of Spain, who thought that the reformers, who thought the people who were in the reformed faith, were, were rebels to the crown because they weren't Catholic. But they testified to the world about the God whom they confessed and they said that they'd be willing to offer their backs to, the, to stripes, their tongues to knives, their mouths to gags, and their whole bodies to the fire rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession. You couldn't make this confession just with your mouth. It had to come from the heart. And the person who wrote this did that very thing, gave his whole body to the fire, and left a widow and a number of children behind. So what we have before us then is not some mere intellectual exercise or treatise, but it's a living confession of faith. And it was made by a communion of believers. We all believe with the heart these things. This was not a dead faith to these people at all. Their oneness was displayed most vividly in their common confession. That's what meant the most to them. It began with God. It wasn't their skin color. It wasn't their financial status, their vocational status, their communal status. It was that their unity began where it needs to be for all of us, with God. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is this one that we call God. The beauty of the confession is that it is both an external one with the mouth and an internal one with the heart. It's believed in the heart. They really believed it. And there wasn't anything phony about it of which James was cautioning people. 
It was a faith that was worked within, within by the power and grace of God. It began in God. It began in their hearts. Yet it was also external. It's what they confessed with their mouth. They, they, they wanted to be able to utter it. Both in praise and for others to hear and see in the fellowship. And in the family. And in the society in which one lived. That's how important it was to them. Because they knew that nothing else mattered if it didn't begin with God. It was a personal confession, but it was also a communal and official confession. It was what an individual confessed, but a confession that he made or she made with others. And it was recognized by those called to shepherd the flock of God. It then promoted a, a personal walk with the Lord, but never outside the bounds of the greater communion and always in conformity with what was officially judged to be sound. And you know what ends up happening then is that the confession of the church becomes then a reflection of God. What God said about himself was reflected in what God's people said about him. And in that way, it was also a doxology and an expression of glory to God, the very reason that we're here on earth to begin with. In the end, it's what God deserves. Because everything begins with God. And whether it has to do with who God is or how it is that we confess Him, if there's one thing that we can come away with when we begin our confession as a church of God, it is that there is no doubt that everything begins with God. And that's what we come to know in Jesus Christ. Because if it doesn't begin with Him, then neither our faith nor our works mean anything. When we look at ourselves and the future and, and our work and our salvation and, and our very living and moving and having our being, the confession that we all need to make for the sake of Jesus Christ is this. doesn't begin with me. It begins with God. Amen. Let's pray, shall we?